Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. Uh, I'm really excited today to have Chris Burns and Madeline Padilla join us again uh, for a conversation. And it's going to be lively, I can already tell, because we were talking right up until uh, we started here. So uh, what, we have, uh, what I have in mind uh, for us to talk about today is um, the process of getting young or sober when you are young. Um, peaks started out as a young adult, well, started out as a young adult men's program, actually, and then expanded to women, but we were with young adults for years. And, um, and we faced a lot of questions and challenges and, and a lot of obstacles in, uh, in the process of working with people getting sober when they're young. And, um, and now since we've expanded to all ages, I thought it'd be fun to circle back around and just kind of have a conversation about what it's like to get sober when you're young. And I believe both of you uh, actually got sober while you were in your 20s. And, um, and so I just wanted to start there with, uh, maybe I'll start with you, Chris. What barriers do you think you had to overcome uh, when, you get, had to, when you decided to get sober when you were in your 20s? Great question, and thank you for kicking this off. Yeah. Jay, I am really excited about this topic. There's a tremendous amount of barriers to get sober young. I think one of the biggest ones in my experience is community. Mm. Um, community for me, because there's not a lot of people in your 22-year-old community. Generally, that's when, you know, my friends are going off to college. Some of them are going to grad school. I remember um, going through um, my Facebook feed or whatever it was at the time, MySpace or Facebook, and, <laughs> and I was watching as I was getting ready to go into treatment, and, and Joey was going off to med school, and Kyle was going to be an attorney, and um, my other buddy Darren was going off over here to be this uh, sports agent, all of this stuff. And really what consumed me at that time was A, lack of community, and B, shame. Um, and both kind of pl play an interesting role in that process. And so my fear early on at 22 years old was that I was going to miss an opportunity to connect with my friends. Mm -hmm. And that's something we hear oftentimes a lot when young people come into treatment is this like, I'm going to miss something. I need to get back to my friends. And I know we do things quite a bit different today, but I remember one of the, uh, this guy named Michael at the last treatment center I was at, he said very, something very candid to me that I don't know that we would say today, um, but it got me thinking about kind of what community actually is and what connection um, has to do with. And he sat down with me and I was about 30 days into Cottonwood Day Tucson in 2008. And I said, yeah, Michael, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting out of here. I don't need to do aftercare. Um, I'm going to be hanging out with my boys. They're doing great things. And he, and he looks at me and he goes, you've been here 30 days. I said, yeah. And he goes, how many get well soon cards have you gotten from your boys? And I was like, whoa, bud. That's kind of hurtful. But at the same time, what dawned on me is like I have an opportunity to create something that's actually never been there. Um, and I think the fear is and the barrier is that I'm going to miss out on something when in fact um, I'm not there anyway. And I'm not present for that mm -hmm. process. And so I think that's a really big barrier, especially for young people, is this idea that I'm going to miss out on something and that I'm going to have a life sentence of sobriety. Mm. I'm never going to be able to drink normally. Yeah. You know, to share a glass of wine in Italy, that was always my thing. I'm going to be in Italy and sharing a glass of wine, you know? Um, and so some of those concrete, finite points that I heard early on really scared me. And that's why I love where we're doing now in 2022, because this isn't a life sentence to anything. Right. It's really an opportunity to embrace and engage in a recovery 24 hours at a time. And I believe today that each person's recovery is as an individual as the person that sits in front of us. Um, and that's how I think it's an easier bite-sized kind of snack for young people, mm. is kind of feeding that, that energy and that positivity. I think you're, I think you're exactly right, because I think 
I mean, I remember I've had a lot of conversations with with young adults like, hey, you mean I can't have a glass of champagne at my wedding? Or, you know, even some people are like, wait, I'm not even, I'm 20. (laughs) I've never even had a legal drink in my life and you're telling me I can never have one? Um, And to your point, Chris, like I think it's interesting to have those conversations and not be that rigid about it and just be like, hey, this is your own journey and be honest with yourself rather than Mm -hmm. digging in and being rigid about that seems to be really impactful. But but I do, I (laughs) this is so funny, you're like, at my wedding, right, or, or at yeah. Italy, right? Why, why don't we assess that when you're getting married and you're going to Italy? <laughs> assess <laughs> it, right? Sit, sit down yeah. then and decide if, mm-hmm. if you want to have that. Because when you, when you get to where you want to go and you dream these scenarios would be, the desire is not there mm. anymore. I think we, we focus way too heavily on the substances, the lack of substances. Are they there? Are they not? That's just the least of somebody's problems. Yeah. And, and I get why it feels so big and so heavy coming in, because um, it's like a friend. It's like losing a close friend at first. I get that. Um, but that's just not, it's not about that glass of wine. It's yeah. not, no. When, and Madeline, I know, based on our conversation earlier, too, I know for you, you have a, di- you have a different take on this question. I have, t- yeah, I hated this question. I hate this Which question. Makes I was me love thinking the about it. even more, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's digging into it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm on the ride over here, and I'm like, uh, you know, getting young, and it's hard to get young sober, and like peer pressure, and like all this like <laughs> educational yeah. stuff from back in the day was coming back. And I was like, I didn't feel young at all. I felt a million years old. I felt a million years old. And so tired, and so tired, and... And my concern was not um, if it was going to kill me. I, my concern was like, what if it goes on like this forever, forever? That would be um, unimaginable. So I, ju- I feel younger today than I ever felt hmm. <laughs> using. So, I, yeah, I just can't relate. But. I love that. Because yeah, if you really zoom out, and I think that's what you're talking about, is this like ability to zoom out. Some people call it playing the tape through, whatever it might be. It's like... I'm not well, I'm not well, I'm dying. And when I'm being honest with myself, and maybe that's a big barrier um, is being young, getting sober, is being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't find the truth in there. Mm. I was living in this narrative and I think I needed to be in that narrative because the other side of it, to pop out of it, meant to just bludgeon myself with a shame hammer. Right. You know. So I think you bring up a really good point. Is like If we can afford ourselves the opportunity, if we can get good, great people around us that afford us the opportunity to zoom out and really right. conceptualize what this is. And I wasn't always honest about everything. I mean, there were, there were things that I thought I could do. I thought I could face it alone. Yeah. I thought, because I, I felt so empowered by it, I had, it hadn't killed me. I was like, I can face anything alone, and I can survive anything alone, and I, I could do this independently. Yes and no. Yeah, I had to find my own way. We've talked about that before. It was an unconventional mm-hmm. um, path. <laughs> it was yeah. very unconventional. Through a and noble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, there were people all around. There were people all around um, if I needed them. You know, so y- yes and no. Not always honest, but, <laughs> yeah. When I think, what I thought of when you were saying all that, Madeline, is I've definitely had people be like, well, I'm going to miss out on all the partying or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, walk me through what a party looks like for you. And really, it's, it's, it's actually really pretty lonely. Yeah. It's like, 
Actually, I was just sitting in a parking lot at King Supers and then yeah. for three hours yeah. and then go and use a loan. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a party. Oh, yeah, and I hear, I hear that on the phone, too. You know, yeah. people are like, well, what if I, um, what about my friends? I, you know, I've heard that. And it's like, let's, let's be honest. If you're making this phone call, this is a solo sport. I always say this. Wow. Addiction is a solo sport. It is, and it's, it can start with friends, you know, or start socially or whatever, but I remember thinking, thank God I'm using alone. I don't have to share this with anybody. Mm -hmm. I need it, you know, and it's for me, and, and if someone comes along, then I might have to, like, I'm going to be in scarcity, yeah. and that's scarier than being alone, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I can't, yeah, that's, it's, it's a solo deal. It's a phenomenal, this is a phenomenal point, too, because I can remember when I showed up at 22, I hadn't been to a party in three years. No one's been fucking not a fuck. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> not a freaking party to speak of. Yeah. But my brain yeah. fantasized. Like I, I rem and I was in the bathroom by myself. Yeah. Nobody was there. I was yeah. disconnected. But my brain was like, no, we're, I'm at the Kager. Right. And I showed up to treatment, and I'm like, no, there was people there, and they're like, Chris, nobody no, was no, there, no, man. It's just you. And I'm like, oh. Now that's an interesting reality when you actually realize that there's nobody there the whole time. When I think you hit it on the head that that you you build this mm -hmm. entire fantasy in your head, and the reality is like if there's, I like to tell, I like to ask people like if there was a GoPro attached to your head, what would it actually show? Because <laughs> really, like you said, it doesn't show a kegger and keg right. stands. It shows alone in a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Tough spot. Yeah. In, it's so interesting, and you see that a lot with young people, and when you're able to kind of zoom out and kind of walk with them a little bit on that journey, it's very clear um, that they had gotten to this point in a solo endeavor. I do, I have to say, you know, there's an element of denial that has its place, and it's totally appropriate. If you're going to lift the veil, better have support. You really want to know what it was like? You better have people around you to back that up. And I, and I do think there's an appropriate time to do that. And so... I, again, I'm going back to being on the phone with people. They're like, do I have to tell you everything right now? And I'm like, no way. It, it, please don't, yeah. right? Please don't because you're not supported enough to face that. I wouldn't have been. If I had really gotten honest about what my life is really looking like before making it in the door, I'm out. That's, that's a wrap. So. And two, you probably won't take me, so. <laughs> you're like, actually, decline. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, I can completely relate to that, too, and that's a lot of, and I see it with mature adults do the same thing oftentimes. Now it's a bit more polished um, to a degree, but you have to, I love how you said lifting the veil. Like if I lift that all the way up, I don't even know what's inside of there. Right. You know, and that can be a really scary thing. And um, you got to have appropriate people around you kind of to do that dance. So I really understand it too. Yeah. So shifting a little bit, I, I would like to ask, I always like to ask these questions, but like, was there, was there a moment where you're like, okay, I think I can do this. I think, I think I can live a life in recovery and I really can commit to this change process even though I'm young. Mm -hmm. Let me rephrase the question. What was the moment? Yeah, so the moment for me, and, and, and I, I grew up in this uh, recovery world and 12-step way of life. And after my third inpatient program, you know, I was really intent on taking every suggestion. And so one of the suggestions that they gave me, they said, Chris, if you're willing to do anything and you want connection and want a fellowship to grow up around you, you have to get a service position. I was like, service position? Man, what does that pay? You know, how does that work? 
do you get cigarettes? Like, I don't know how this goes. <laughs> I've never done anything for nothing. Mm. It's an interesting concept you all have here in 12-step land. And he's yeah. like, Chris, just do it. I had great people around me. Thank God, they were like the bumpers. And so I go in, and I do my um, 90 days sober. I go in to do my coffee position, and it's a 90-day commitment. And I'm at the largest group in all of Prescott, Arizona, 150 people in this home group called Crazy Birds Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, 6 a.m. meeting. And I go in there, and I'm pissed off. And this guy, Steve's in there, and he's, he's sweeping the floors. I'm like, Steve, what are you doing here, man? And he's like, oh, great question, man. I got here 35 years ago on a Wednesday. My sponsor told me the same thing he probably told you, which is to get a service position, watch your fellowship grow up around. You don't have any friends, but you're about to have some. And I'm like, whoa, Steve, that's crazy. And he's like, and you know what? It's worked so well. I've been doing it for 35 years every Wednesday. And I was like, wow. And then he said, what we'd like to do is me and my two buddies that were here 35 years ago, we'd love to sit down with you. We'll call it the meeting before the meeting because we believe in you. And I'm like, and that was the second, the second man to ever told me he believed in me. Mm. And I was like, if you believe in me, I can believe in myself. Mm. And I showed up at those guys and they were like, all you got to do is keep our coffees full. Just these old timers, man. They're all 70. And I was like, <laughs> just taking notes, taking notes. And then another suggestion I got right on the back end of that was to get coffee with this guy named James. And I went and had coffee with this guy named James. And I don't even know what we talked about, but I left that experience, both of those experiences combined. And I felt like God tapped me on the shoulder that day and said, if you do this and you do this well, I'll take care of you the rest of your life. And it was on that day, 90 to 120 days sober, where I knew if I had great people around me, I could do this. And I had a family of choice grow up around me. And after that coffee position, I had 50 friends. Mm. And that was really the inflection point for me where I was like, I can't do this, but we sure can. Mm. Well, in, the, in the recovery moments, Chris, they're not just like, again, it's not a, sober, not sober. It had nothing to do, those God tap moments that you're talking about. That, you're re-recovering constantly with, with answering that call or like even acknowledging that that is the recovery. Like, I can think of two instances and kind of go back to your question, Jason. Okay, so I was in Target and I'm doing some grocery shopping at Target. This was, I was in the alumni house. I spent quite a bit of money, but I had a loofah on the bottom of the grocery cart. A loo, you know, yeah. it's a dollar. Yeah, and I, I spent $100, right? And I, I go out there and I'm alone. I'm shopping by myself across the street from the old center. And I saw it in the cart and I was like, hmm, hmm. Mm, and, and, I t and I took it back. They looked at me like I was nuts, yeah. right? I said, I, I do with this what you will. <laughs> take, take it to the back, you know? Um, I just, I, I didn't pay for it. And, I, and then I got out of there. No one arrested me. First of all, that was cool, really cool. Yeah. And in fact, they almost looked at me with like some respect, like that was a good thing to do. And I walked out of the Target feeling kind of high, like on life, like feeling good about myself, feeling like a person, like, an, like a responsible person. And then I was like, I could commit to this because that wasn't so hard and the payoff was worth it. And something mm -hmm. small. Yeah. And then on a bigger scale, fast forward, I was in a job where my ego was getting fed and my character defects were getting me through it, you know, <laughs> and it was really, um, I wasn't using, but spiritually I was dying is what was happening. And I just didn't, I didn't want to do anything about it, didn't want to do anything about it. And I finally answered that call. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm going to take a leap of faith for like, what, the fifth, sixth time since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just in a repeat cycle of that. But it gets better every level. It gets better every time. So why wouldn't I trust that? You know? That's, that's what I have to say. That loofah. I actually just got a new loofah. 
And I, I got a red one. I paid for it. Too, I right? paid yeah. for it. And it was 99 cents about. <laughs> and I got a red one, and my youngest son's favorite color is red. He's like, that's my loofah. And so I went and got a blue one. Yeah. And my oldest son, that's his favorite color. He's like, it's my loofah. So now I got a black one. Nice. Yeah. That's all you. Yeah. yeah. So how, I mean, Chris, I, I, I really appreciate your story, too, um, that AA did provide that message to you. And then it turns out AA isn't necessarily for everybody. How, how do you think people can build community, especially young people, um, when they don't have that room with 70-year-old guys asking for full coffee at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, mm. very intense. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question, Jason, and I was actually talking to my therapist on Monday about this. I said, Polly, I'll bet you in 20 years AA has half of its members. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah, news just in, Polly. We're not sending people the way that we used to because oftentimes some things that they'll see in there aren't necessarily trauma-informed in the individual that's going in there. You've got to make sure that that's a good fit for them. And so... Yeah, I have kind of two stories of recovery. Um, you know, I think the best way, and what Polly really shared with me that stuck with me is that we have to do it together. Mm. We just can't do this alone. Right. Mm. So I was checking in with someone in IOP last night, a female client who actually had a relapse in primary care. She's doing phenomenal. She has a community in yoga. She's going every night to yoga, and she does IOP three nights a week. She feels anchored into that. It's a strong anchor point. That's community. There's another person in there who is getting people together to go to a, a show at Red Rocks. That's community. I just think whatever it looks like, it has to be a we proposition because that's the impenetrable force. That's when we're having a tough day. That's when adversity smacks us in the face head on, and then I'm able to counterbalance that with Madeline and Jason here. And if Madeline and Jason are walking with me into the world, I'll never drink again. Um, the problem is, is we don't always have Madeline or Jason, but they're just a phone call away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like a lot of those community events, whether it's church, whether it's smart recovery, whether it's refuge recovery, whether it's getting a few guys to their going to a game, getting a barbecue going, it's just community. And the community is so important that I remember when I was in Prescott, Arizona, for six months, all I did was fellowship. I didn't work a step. I didn't go to a counseling appointment. I didn't do any of that. And I felt pretty happy, joyous, and free just being connected with people that were doing great things. Yeah. So. I love that. I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but I'm going to go back here for a second. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. But we, we had a conversation on the phone, and this was a, a while back, where I said, I feel really lost. I, we don't have to go into the details of that conversation, but I said, I, like, I feel really lost. I feel paralyzed. Like, I don't know what to do. And, and you, you said, you don't have to, even if you don't know what the right thing to do, you said, get with the people that love you. Get with the people that love you. Have a conversation with them. Sit on it. Then make the decision. Not get with the people that know more or can beat you in the submission in the right way. Get with the people that love you, and, and you'll get in touch with what you need to do. That's very accurate. It's, it's good advice. So true, <laughs> because they're going to be a great sounding board. Yeah. And then once we have those great people in our lives yeah. and we're connected, man, that's when I believe in the blue book and what it says. Right. Then I can go anywhere, and I can do anything. Yeah. And that's been my experience in the back half of my recovery, really, for the last seven years, is I don't have thoughts of using. I don't have thoughts of engaging in that stuff. And for whatever reason... Um, when I was doing it the other way, I often had thoughts of those types of things. So I'm really grateful to have that 12-step experience because some people prefer 12 steps, and I can speak to that. Um, and, and I really appreciate the authentic recovery that I'm living today, which is much more balanced. I believe that my therapist says this all the time. I just believe once you, once you gain a certain amount of recovery, it really turns into this gray space and this really functional recovery instead of so much rigidity. Mm -hmm. But to her point, I absolutely needed some rigidity, some external boundaries for myself early on, of which I've been able to kind of move 
um, and wade more freely in those waters as of the last couple of years. Water cuts through rock, you know. Yeah. It just takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, this is all the time we have for today. This is, uh, I think it's been a great discussion, and, and really, I think it speaks uh, to hope mm -hmm. and, um, and that people can get well uh, at any age, truthfully. And, and I can't imagine either of you sitting here now or like looking back like, oh my God, if only I could have used a few more times and my life would have been so much more enriched or full or whatever. Like I'd, I don't think there's any regrets around uh, getting sober if you can just find those kind of inflection points that you both kind of talked about along the way. So uh, with that, we're, we'll go ahead and sign off. I do encourage you all to follow us on um, Instagram. Chris Burns does a TikTok thing, <laughs> which is... Everything is on TikTok. Yeah, it, they are funny and interesting, and uh, we follow all the trends here. I don't understand them, but I squatted in the middle of a meeting last week, and that was weird, and I don't know why, but uh, I dropped it like, from Rihanna or Beyonce or something. I don't know. And then anyway, uh, or follow us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, and I personally like us as a podcast, yeah. so uh, that's also available. So thank you guys for the time, and uh, peace. 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 Go be great.